Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Andrew Hoffman. He helps people improve their finances. He calls it Master Your Finances Effortlessly Without Budgeting. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Andrew. Hey, Jordan. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Just give us a little bit of your history. I know you've been in the financial services business for a long time. Just a brief of your history to get to where you are today. Absolutely. So I got my foot in the door as a financial advisor um, early on, maybe uh, 2011 or so. And I just worked, kind of working my way up through corporate America, if you will. But I always struggled to just find a budget that made sense for me. Um, I felt like I could, you know, stay out of debt. But in terms of saving and investing as much as I wanted to, I just felt like I was always spinning my wheels, crafting the perfect budget and struggling to adhere to it, you know, week in, week out. And so I ended up, uh, especially being in variable income uh, as a recruiter for some of my career, uh, that was kind of the hardest part between commissions and uh, regular income, bonuses, et cetera. So I finally uh, kind of stumbled on a strategy where I could just automate everything. And so that really dramatically reduced my stress. Um, and it got to the point where I was just sharing this with friends and family and ended up kind of creating a, my own method, if you will, around that. And you call it automatic money flow at automaticmoneyflow.com, correct? That is 100% accurate, yes, sir. Yes. So what do people find at automaticmoneyflow.com? Absolutely. Well, first of all, there's a free training that kind of helps share a little bit of my story and what kind of got me uh, into this situation in the first place, um, as well as giving some free training and tidbits to help people kind of understand, like, why would anyone want to kind of take this on when, you know, most financial people say, well, step one is really to create a budget and get a handle on where your money is going. Um, so, yeah, so that should be a great place for people to just get a loose understanding. There's also a course available for purchase as well. It's kind of just a, for the DIYer that's out there that want to, uh, you know, maybe learn a new strategy. They feel like they've been spinning their wheels with whatever they've been currently doing that could be beneficial for them. So let's start with the current situation that most people in. What is the way uh, most people deal with these, their finances today that you're, you're trying to change? Absolutely. I think a lot of people are struggling right now. I mean, we hear, we see stats in the news all the time, you know, 58%, 61% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, I think a lot of those people are, obviously, it's tough out there. Inflation's high, you know, not the greatest economic environment that we've ever seen. But um, there are a lot that people can do to kind of rein things in, in their own world. I think if people are Googling, you know, how do I get right with my money? Oftentimes, again, budgeting is kind of the de facto solution for most everyone. Nothing wrong with that. If it's working for people, then, hey, feel free to keep keep rocking with that. I have no issues with that. But I think a lot of people um, struggle because, in my opinion, it seems that budgeting is the solution where you kind of craft every dollar on paper, um, and then you've got to adhere to it for the next week or month, depending on how you're doing it. And then you've got to rinse and repeat and do the same thing over and over again, really until you stop making money uh, for most of us. And so I think that people are uh, desiring a theoretical one-click solution. You know, we live in such a frictionless society where people have, you know, a package delivered to themselves um, sometimes same day, right? We want it now. We don't want to do the hard work. We don't want to have the discipline. Um, and you couple that with the fact that, you know, credit card companies are charging people 30, up to 30% in some cases. You know, you overdraft, it's 35 bucks. Um, we're all served 5,000 ads every day. You know, a lot of people's willpower seems to be diminished compared to maybe our parents' generation where we didn't have to face as many challenges. And so, in my opinion, if we can outsource some of those behavioral hurdles to technology and not even anything crazy, just like recurring bank transfers, that really opens the door for other people to win with money without feeling like they have to go down the personal finance rabbit hole to get that. So you're saying making things automatic overcomes the behavioral uh, tendencies to do things the wrong way is what you're saying. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so it's not that it's like a one, you know, it's a panacea. I've got a silver bullet, nothing like that. But the reality is, you know, the stack, the the deck for most people is not stacked in their favor. Again, going back to the five thousand ads, credit card companies, all these things, inflationary environment that we find ourselves in. And so my pitch to people is, if you can stack the deck in your favor, if you can consider your own behaviors. And instead of having one checking account, I call this the slush fund, you know, right, where we have one checking account that's supposed to do everything. It's supposed to 
pay the bills. It's supposed to, you know, give our charitable donations. It's supposed to uh, have money that we're going to earmark for savings and some for investing. And probably we want to spend some of that along the way. But how much do we spend? How much should we be spending? How much should we be doing for all these things? And it's just a lot of a lot of heavy lifting for for most people that are, you know, trying to juggle a family life, um, career goals, um, all these aspirations they have to do. When I would just say you don't have to do that. It doesn't have to be that hard. You know, I like to say throw in a savings account um, at the same institution you've got your checking account, and you've got this kind of frictionless environment where you can instant transfer all of your savings right back into checking. In my opinion, it's no wonder that 69% of Americans only have $1,000 saved. So in my opinion, um, you know, there's been, I, I wish I could like cite a study off the top of my head. I cannot, but I know that just by sending your savings to a separate institution, maybe even an online high-yield savings account, that two-day transfer to get your money back is typically enough of a barrier for people to begin to actually accumulate some meaningful savings, maybe for the first time. And so a lot of my strategy is involved with segmenting these separate areas. Um, so maybe you've got your investing in one bucket, your savings, like short-term savings, if you will, in another bucket, your spending money, and then your bills. If you can segment these areas out, create automations between them, then you have some uh, recurring Really just um, kind of peace of mind, if you will, because, again, in my opinion, going back to the budgeting uh, you know, framework, we, so much of the budgeting that we do is kind of uh, you know, ritzing and repeating. So much of the budgeting we do is for the same things that we do every single week, week in and week out. And so if we can just, uh, I would say, bucketize some of these things, like I have people set up a spending account for just groceries, going out to eat, you know, the household toiletry items, maybe some entertainment, and figuring out a rough dollar amount to that send an automated transfer to a new institution, a new checking account at a new bank that's separate from your current one where you pay all of your bills. And once you get that under your belt, we, my wife and I do that with a joint checking account. And just knowing that that money is there to pay the groceries, you know, every week to do the things that we do on a week in week out basis. That's a great first step for a lot of people just to begin to, uh, at a minimum, curb overspending, but then have clarity on how much they need to actually do the things they want to do without feeling hyper restricted or feeling like they have to do this you know, kind of budgeting roller coaster where they get super serious about a budgeting method. Um, they stick with it for a few weeks. Maybe they have a hiccup. Maybe their, you know, paycheck lands on date night, and now they don't have time to do the budget like they normally would, and then they fall off the wagon, right? So this kind of eliminates that um, uh, binge and purge cycle, if you will. One important part of your strategy is to have at least two separate banks because one bank has a purpose for one, and then to have transfers back and forth. What is wrong with having it all in one bank and having separate accounts within one bank? Beautiful question. In my opinion, the instant transfer is too tempting for most people. I liken it to saying, you know what, I want to lose 10 pounds, and I'm just going to trust myself to not get into the cookies. I've got a cupboard full of snacks. I've got a cupboard full of treats. But you know what, I'm just going to be really good and promise myself that I'm not going to do it. I feel like that's kind of the way we, we do this with our money and think that we're going to just be perfect people and not make any mistakes, not have a hard day at the office or not, you know, um, something goes wrong and then we, we find ourselves treating ourselves or, you know what, I know that uh, the checking account's a little low. Let me just pull from savings just this once. And so we oftentimes, I think, bite off more than we can, we can chew when it comes to our, our goals. You know, we tell ourselves that, you know, I'm not going to save until I can save 500 bucks a month. You know, and I think we need to rethink a lot of these things that we've been taught or maybe that we have these internal conversations that we have with ourselves about, you know, how good and how disciplined we think we are and, and just separate these things and make it, I don't want to say impossible because obviously you can get to the money. It's just going to take slightly longer, a two day transfer to get your money back. So there's a discipline and not being able to get to it, right? Whereas if it's in one bank and you can transfer it instantly, that's where the discipline goes out the window is what you're saying. In my opinion, yes. Absolutely right. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So um, as far as where you keep your money for savings, I mean, today you can get 5.5% on a money market fund, treasury bills. What, what, what do you recommend for people to keep their money that they're going to spend eventually liquid but still earn a decent yield today? Absolutely. What a great question. So I think a lot of people, going back to the 69% of Americans with $1,000 saved, if, if you're in that camp, then I would say, just start by putting money into a brokerage account. Absolutely love what you're saying there. A money market account is a great opportunity to, you know, get some higher yield. 
And then when people get to the place where I love to have people kind of begin to rethink things instead of a monthly basis into a weekly basis, that might sound a little bit strange, but when we talk about the spending, you know, buying groceries, we do that every week. I know for myself, when I was beginning to try to uncover some of these uh, systems, uh, I would try to, you know, put myself on a budget, if you will, for a two-week period. And by that, I mean, like, whether it's a cash envelope, but giving myself some spending money for a two-week period, and I always fill up the wagon after, you know, like eight or nine days. I mean, it just was that that 14-day cycle was too difficult for me to kind of overcome myself. And so if we can just rethink these things over a weekly basis, and so uh, imagine that, right? We've got our weekly spending money. We divide our monthly bills. Let's say they're $4,000 into a weekly. Now we've got 1000 And so if we say we're spending $500 a week with our spouse doing the groceries and all that stuff, now that's 1500 between one week of bills, one week of spending. If we begin putting money into this money market account and we get to the point where we've got, hey, we've got two weeks now of kind of living expenses uh, squirreled away, then at that point, this is where it gets crazy, Jordan. That's where people can flip the switch uh, and change their direct deposit to that money market account, to the brokerage institution or a savings account as a brokerage house if they won't let you do it right into the money market. Uh, although I know for a fact that Vanguard will allow that. Um, basically, at that point, then their money is direct deposited into this brokerage side of the fence, which I think what we're actually doing, the client may not realize this verbatim, but this concept of pay yourself first, we're really putting that on steroids because if they can begin you know, with the intention that we're going to save our paycheck and then we're going to pay ourselves the minimum amount we need for our bills and our spending, now we're cooking with gas, right? Because over time, we're going to start accumulating money in this money market account without lifting another finger. And then that's when we can begin investing. That's when we can begin funding the Roth IRAs, really beginning to build the assets, um, taking extra money, maybe once we get a month ahead and saying, hey, anything over this, um, you know, this maybe $6,000 amount, we're going to start really attacking the credit cards or uh, debt repayments without feeling like we are spinning our wheels and having to kind of do this chore of the weekly, the biweekly, the monthly budgeting. Now, you've got things going on in these different bank accounts. Is there some overarching software program that's kind of keeping track of everything and where it's going, what the expenses are, and what the savings? There's a lot of different moving pieces. Is there something you're looking at that's kind of pulling it all together uh, in some automated way? Fantastic question. Uh, today, no. Um, and I like that because I think a lot of people can get intimidated. I'll be the first to say I've tried all the different kind of tracking softwares, and I've not found one. Maybe you can help me with this, but I haven't found one that will actually categorize everything correctly without my intervention. And so I know for me, this is just my personal opinion, um, that some of these things can cause a lot of frustration more than they help because it feels like now I've got this recurring task that I've got to categorize all these transactions. So I tell people you can literally use just a sheet of notebook paper to begin to run your own numbers. You know, if we know that the bills are, again, let's say, let's say they're 3,800 bucks, maybe we round up and call it 4,000 to account for kind of the variations in your utilities. You know, maybe you get a haircut, um, you know, once every so often. And, you know, we just want to give you some breathing room for things like that, those variable expenses. If we just do that and then get to the place where we're, this is going to sound strange to a lot of financial people listening, so bear with me, but the concept of almost like living with intentionality versus just tracking every single penny, right? So a lot of my clients, so in my opinion, I'll just talk riff on how we set up a spending account, right? On one hand, you can say, well, let's look at the last 90 days and find an average for what you spend on groceries, what you spend on personal care items and toiletries. And, and going out to eat and uh, maybe any miscellaneous entertainment. You can do that and find an average and then start there. I would say don't try to be a hero. And if you're spending $800 a week, don't try to convince yourself that you should start day one and do $500 a week because then everything blows up in your face and it's going to be terrible and you, you'll want to abandon the strategy. But if you can start kind of where you are, that's great. But most people often just say, hey, what are you spending on groceries? Do you have a rough idea? Okay, let's pad that with a couple hundred bucks and start here. And then yep. we adjust on the fly. You know, maybe we start with, you know, 500 bucks. Hey, that was a little tight. Let's do 525. Let's do 550. Let's do 475 instead because we had a little leftover. Okay, great. And I think a lot of people really, because you guys like you and I, Jordan, we are, we are numbers guys. We're money guys. Um, most people don't, don't care about the same things that you and I care about as it relates to this field. They just want their problem solved. And yeah. if we can just help them in a way that is meaningful to them in a way that they don't have to, you know, feel like they've got to get all this additional, potentially unnecessary education to solve their problem. They just want their problem solved. And that has been effective for my clients. 
Right. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Andrew Hoffman. Uh, his company, his offering is called Automatic Money Flow at automaticmoneyflow.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Andrew Hoffman. His program is called Automatic Money Flow, and you can see more about it at automaticmoneyflow.com. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. Thanks again for having me. It's a pleasure. So let's talk about savings and the, the, the priority and where you should be saving. Say people have a 401k at work on which they're getting matched. They could do a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, a non-IRA savings account. People can only save so much. As you say, a lot of people living paycheck to paycheck, they can't save anything. But if you have a little extra, what should be the priority in which you should be saving? Absolutely. Um, I think that a lot of people just need some breathing room. You know, again, I don't need to keep hammering the stat about 69% of Americans having $1,000 saved. I think for most people just getting started, again, step one for all my clients is to open that savings, uh, excuse me, to open the spending account first, get a few weeks of that under your belt, because then I think that allows people to have some of the pressure taken off because they have some more predictability in their life. It's like they're giving themselves a spending paycheck, which I think lowers people's stress right out of the gate. And then from there, I would say, take a look at what margin they have available to them and then begin putting some of that money into the brokerage account. Once you get maybe a thousand uh, or more dollars saved up, I mean, a month would be great, uh, depending on people's situations. I know that might take, uh, it might take several months for them to get that money saved up. But then from there, I think a Roth IRA is a great place for people. If they've got a Roth 401k at work, I certainly want to take advantage of that free money. I feel like that's probably the Roth 401k would probably be step one as far as getting the investments up and running. Um, and then if they get that match and they want to, especially depending on what the investments available to them at the 401k, I would certainly consider opening the Roth IRA and kind of go in that route and filling up as much of that as they can. Now, as you say, what is it, 69% of people living paycheck to paycheck? I mean, this all sounds nice. But they literally do not have enough money to save anything. And today with inflation and the rising cost of gas and food and rents and so on, they literally do not have anything left over to save. How can you help people in that circumstance kind of get by? Absolutely. I think a lot of people are struggling with debt. I think that that is one of the big factors. And I think when we look at what assets people might have, people oftentimes don't realize what assets they have available to them. So whether it's their home, uh, we know that, you know, using a home equity line of credit can be a great way to restructure some of the debt that they do have to provide some breathing room. 
Um, even with rates being what they are, oftentimes people can still uh, make significant progress compared to what they might have on a credit card, as an example. So if you're paying 20, you know, almost 30% on a credit card and you can get 8% from your home equity line, um, then that can be a great way for people to um, get some short-term relief so that they can then get on their feet and put some money away. I want to be very careful when we talk about strategies like that because that can be a very slippery slope because if you treat your home like a credit card and then just rack that up with a bunch more debt, then now you've got to be an even bigger problem. So I think for a lot of people, you know, we have to fix that underlying system that is broken. Uh, again, I think automation is a great way to fix that system because it kind of, again, giving you the spending paycheck, putting some money away, um, automating all the bills, making sure those things get paid, even if it's just automating the minimum credit card balance so that you can know that that's going to at least get paid, even if you can't make meaningful progress on that right now. Those are let's just talk a couple about, strategies I would consider. Let's talk about debt again. So there are two ways. There's debt restructuring, or what's called the debt snowball. Give me the pros and cons of each. Absolutely. I love the concept of the debt snowball. I do think that sometimes the debt snowball, if we are, again, not to be critical, but I think a lot of people that go this debt snowball route, it's predicated on having massive amounts of discipline which I think, you know, it's great if you've got it, if you can do the whole debt snowball program. I think mathematically that can really work out for a lot of people. We could certainly, you know, talk about the pros and cons of that versus, you know, let's say a debt avalanche where instead of attacking the smallest balance with a debt snowball, you're attacking the highest interest rate first. You know, pros and cons to both, but from an overarching debt restructure standpoint or, you know, automation standpoint, what I would um, employ people consider is that that requires so much less discipline. And so oftentimes what I will recommend people do is they will get like a peer-to-peer lending solution where they take some of their credit card debt or as much as they can and offload that to a personal loan. That way they're going to see their credit scores increase uh, almost overnight or at least within 30 days typically. Um, But then they're going to have a fixed payment. And so what happens, Jordan, I think a lot of people that might not be savvy around these topics is they've got multiple credit cards. And instead of just doing the intuitive debt snowball, I think a lot of people think, well, I'm just going to make a minimum payment. I'm just going to put a little bit of each on some of these extra cards. And that just waters down their efforts. And so often for people just to have, you know what, just a fixed payment, then that alleviates some of the emotional, mental burden on them. And they're able to kind of get ahead with money, assuming that they've put some other puzzle pieces in place. Again, I think the spending account is a big one as we can stop overspending in its tracks for most people just by having that, you know, separate transaction and a separate bank account. And then we can restructure some of the debt so that they can have breathing room, right? Obviously, it's a case-by-case basis. It's dependent on credit scores. Uh, there are certainly other ways. You can take a 401k loan if that makes sense for your situation. If you, by chance, have other assets, then maybe you take a margin loan against. Um, if you feel comfortable doing that in a conservative manner where we're not tapping, you know, tapping it to the hilt, um, and then, you know, risking the market going down and that being a bad situation for people. So uh, I think every situation, including doing nothing, has risk to it. And it's just a matter of taking a look at each person's individual situation to find out what is going to be the best fit for their needs. What, what is the impact of inflation on people's budgets these days? I mean, if the official numbers are not too bad, 3% or so, but in real life, I think people have much higher food costs and gasoline costs and rents and other things are going up much faster than their income is going up. How should people deal with inflation in today's economy? Wow. I wish I had an easy answer to that. Um, Because to your point, I think uh, the official numbers are not giving uh, most people the full picture. I know that energy, there's another sector where they don't fully uh, report on the CPI numbers from my my understanding. So uh, I agree with you. I think it's still tough out there for people, uh, despite what headlines might say otherwise. Um, I think the best thing that people can do is – in some ways, they're going to have to tighten their belt. You know, in some ways, they're going to have to maybe consider other types of employment. In some ways, they might have to consider a side hustle. You know, if people are familiar with the concept of just finding some other income that you can bring in the house. I think getting on, I and mean, again, I'm not opposed. If someone wants to go for the traditional budgeting route um, to buy themselves a breathing room and gain clarity around their money, by all means, take the steps that are necessary to do that. Uh, I think if you can consider things like farmer's markets, for groceries, if you can consider, uh, and you know, like you know, my family often will go to like a Lidl and Aldi, some of these areas where we can kind of segment the food we buy. You know, maybe we go to a Costco and try to buy things in bulk to save some money there, um, and then cooking at home. You know, obviously, um, 
eating out compared to eating at home can be, you know, two, three, four times more expensive than preparing food at home. And so sometimes people, uh, I, I know the feeling, you know, I know what it's like to feel like things are tight, to feel like you're stressed. And, you know, what? I'm just going to pull through the drive through. And I think that that can have many adverse effects on us. Uh, financially being one of them, because we think, you know what, I'm going to get a value meal and that's going to save me some money. When we look at that same dollar, those same dollars will stretch significantly further at the grocery store. So I think for a lot of people, just going back to the basics to figure out ways to save some money on the groceries, as an example. You talk about the frugal mindset is paying to go to work. Uh, how does that relate to your net dollar per hour? And particularly as it relates to child care, a lot of people have to decide should the wife go back to work or are they going to spend all of what they earn on taking childcare? And maybe it makes more sense to stay home with the kid and not have to pay for childcare. How, how do you make those calculations? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Phenomenal question. There's a great book, an old classic called your money or your life. I think it's by Ricky, um, Vicky yeah. Robin and Joe Dominguez, if I'm not mistaken. And so right. they go to the extreme in terms of calculating that dollar per hour. So I'll give people the highlights. I haven't, I haven't memorized their entire formula, but just from a big, you know, high level thinking approach, when you go to work, you have to have a vehicle to get you there most often, right? If you, if you're commuting into the office, you got to have a vehicle to get there you likely are going to be dressing in a more formal attire um, to go to the office. And so you've got to have clothes for work. If you're eating out at lunch for work, those costs factor in to each of the things that um, is, is really just reducing your dollar per hour. You know, you've, you've got, you're working in a nice office building. There's a coffee shop. Now you're buying the $5 latte and that is affecting your dollar per hour. And so just the concept, it sounds, uh, it sounds crazy as a concept to think about paying to go to work until you kind of peel the onion a little bit, and most people will realize that, wait a minute, I'm falling into that category in some ways, right? So even doing the basic things, and again, I'll be the first to say, I'm the spender of my family. Um, you know, my wife and I have each of our own spending accounts, and I'm so guilty of spending the bulk of mine at Chipotle, it seems like. So I'm, I'm not trying to shame anybody about eating out or anything like that, but it's just giving yourself the knowledge to understand your situation and you know, if you're, especially if things are tight, you know, those are things worth considering. How is what I'm currently doing affecting my own dollar per hour? Are there any areas that just driving to the office or maybe carpooling with a coworker, maybe taking public transport, if you've got that available to you? Um, if you're considering relocating, maybe you consider moving to or closer to the office, maybe walking to work, maybe biking to work. And I, I'll be the first to say, not a fit for everybody, so I'm not uh, trying to advocate that for everybody. But I think for a select few people listening, that could be a viable strategy for them to just retain more of the money that they work so hard to keep. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Andrew Hoffman. His program is called Automatic Money Flow, and you can find out more at his website, automaticmoneyflow.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Andrew Hoffman. He has a program called Automatic Money Flow. You can find out more at his website, automaticmoneyflow.com. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. Pleasure to be here, Jordan. Thanks so much. So let's talk about insurance a little bit. There's always a, a controversy between buying whole life or permanent insurance versus term insurance. People say, well, buy term and invest the difference. Other people say you'll never have the discipline to do that, so it's better to do whole life. All the commissions are very higher on it. What are the pros and cons of permanent versus term insurance? Ooh, we might need to book another hour for this one, Jordan. This is such a uh, such a great conversation to have. I think there's a lot of heated debate around this topic. And uh, before I get too far into my answer, I'm just going to shout out to um, David McKnight, uh, who has a great um, you know documentary podcast book by the same name of The Power of Zero, The Tax Train is Coming. And so he kind of opened my eyes to some of these strategies. I mean, I've when I started out, when I cut my teeth in the financial services industry, I did work for, you know, insurance-based uh, financial firm, uh, switched uh, broker-dealers and went to another kind of insurance-based broker-dealer. So uh, you could say I'm biased uh, for that uh, by all means, and that's fine. Uh, my, my short take, and then we can unpack it, is that term and invested difference is great for most people. You know, I have zero problems with that. I think most people should gobble up as much term as they can get. Um, early on, I think um, in a post-9-11 world, I think the it's a little bit of a misnomer of being overinsured because, as you and I both know, you know, if you're making hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, the ter- the uh, life insurance company is not going to sell you a hundred million dollar policy. Uh, it's based on your income and things like that, and so I have no problem getting term. But I, I think the average consumer and a lot of um, you know even personal finance uh, fanboys, fanboys and girls, um, don't always know that term insurance typically pays out about one percent of the time. And so I think having as much as you can afford early on, especially if you're raising children and you have obligations to tend to, um, that's a great strategy. But I think people um, can consider something in the permanent life insurance category. And I just want to say consider because I think for some reason uh, we live in a world where everyone seems to think if you breathe the term permanent life insurance or whole life or IUL or anything like that, then you are automatically insinuating that people need to put all of their money in these things. And don't get me wrong, we both know that there are plenty of insurance salespeople that would love to put all of your money in these things, but I certainly don't think that that is prudent. I think um, most financial pundits um, that, you know, love to rip on whole life insurance or IULs or any of that stuff um, love to vilify them, again, for the reasons we've described. But one of the main pain points that they say is, well, they're not going to get as great a rate of return as a stock portfolio. And, of course, they're not because life insurance companies invest in bonds. And I think for a lot of people, when we make that early distinction that you should expect lower rates of return because of what the underlying investment is, that begins to make a little more sense. When we look at so some of the features of a, Oh, please. Right. You're, you're saying a combination at some term, but have some permanent insurance as well. You're saying a combination is best for most people. I think eventually a combination is best. And so here's what I want to say, because I think a lot of people, when they're getting started with this stuff, depending on where they are, they're putting some money away, they're trying to grow their careers, they're trying to start a family and raise some children. I don't think that that's probably the best time to uh, switch gears and consider whole life at all. I think that they need to have a lot of boxes checked, you know, get that emergency fund up, get the match at work, begin saving and investing substantially. And then when you get to a place where you want to consider the permanent insurance, go for it. Have that conversation. Begin to consider it um, as a part of your overall strategy. And I'm a big equities over bonds guy in general. So add that to your profile as you're kind of thinking through my thoughts around this. You know, I'm a big index investor myself. And so I would say only having a sliver of the money that you would put in index funds to be going to something like a permanent policy. Because I, I like the idea of having guarantees. I like the idea that people can grow money guaranteed. 
I like the idea that they can have a permanent death benefit. You know, for me and my family, like, I certainly want to be able to leave some legacy behind. And I don't love the idea that I'm paying for term insurance like I would pay for auto insurance, hoping I'll never need it. You know, I want to get some return on that investment. And so if I can have some money in a permanent policy that will go tax-free, you know, income tax-free to my family, I really like the idea of that. I like the idea of the Roth-like tax treatment that Whole Life provides. I like the idea that the cash value that builds up into it can certainly refill the uh, retirement bucket for my spouse, you know, should I pass away first, which the numbers say that I will likely do that. Um, and then I like the fact that it can be uh, mitigating the sequence of return risk. And so just to just to riff on that for a moment, sequence of return risk for listeners that might not be familiar with the concept, um, when you are pulling money out of a retirement portfolio, the first 10 years of retirement is often what people would cite as like the most dangerous or the most volatile, because if you take some immediate losses in the market, you know, maybe back to back to back, then that can really erode your um, your investment gains over the long term, your ability to substantially or to continue to continue to take withdrawals out that don't um, you know torpedo your portfolio for the long term. If that made any sense. So all that to say, if you have some money in guarantees, I mean, shoot, they could be you could have money in CDs, and that's fine too. It doesn't have to be a permanent life insurance policy, but having some money that's guaranteed to not go down because in 2008 we knew that bonds went down. And so if people have this kind of a safe haven for some of their money, you could call it cash. That's fine, too. But, you know, maybe a few years, two, three years of savings in something like a permanent policy, then you can even borrow against that. I know that that can be maybe a controversial strategy in of itself, but that way people have money in other places. And so they're not just frantic about the stock market going down. Within the permanent policy choices, what are the pros and cons of whole life? versus uh, index universal life, variable life, you know, there are different ways of doing it. What, do you have a particular favorite amongst those? That's a great question. I'm pretty boring. Um, if it were me personally, um, and I'm not there yet, I'll be the first to say, I don't own any permanent insurance policies because I'm not there yet. Uh, it doesn't make sense for me and my family situation at the moment. Uh, but if I were, I would likely consider splitting the difference between whole life and maybe like a VUL, something like that. And so just to um, clarify some talking points on that. So whole life is kind of the most boring vanilla uh, insurance policy that you can get in the permanent space. I would consider personally one from the big four carriers uh, that are mutually owned. So you, you think of like the New York Life, the Guardian, the Northwestern Mutual, um, and then the Mass Mutual. Those would be the ones that I would consider because the policyholders own portions of the company and they have a history of having a strong dividend. Uh, each carrier is going to be different in terms of, you know, if they've had to reduce the dividend because of economic reasons or things like that. Um, but I like the kind of slow and steady growth with that because, again, you're buying, you're paying more for the protection and that death benefit. So if someone is in need or in need of or in favor of a stronger death benefit, then I think whole life is the way to go. If cash accumulation is the sole focus, then I think maybe something more like a VUL would make more sense because you can invest it into mutual fund sub-accounts. Um, though I did review a policy for a client of mine, and I, I was pretty aghast to see that 35% of the um, sub, sub-accounts were invested in the bonds. And in my opinion, you know, that kind of negates the purpose of trying to get that growth because we want to grow the cash accumulation account for something like a VUL. So if you're going to do it, I would say find one that has decent sub-accounts, granted, most insurance companies uh, don't want, you know, don't want you uh, to be making too, too much money in their accounts. Um, they want, you know, predictable growth and inside their policies. So it can be, um, you know, I think the people have their homework cut out for them. And that, I think, only adds to the um, stigma of these, these vehicles in themselves. In your program, you, you kind of go back to ancient Greek times and uh, bring up the idea of the Ulysses contract. What is the Ulysses contract? I think it's such a fun term. I, 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 I'm just a personal finance junkie, Jordan, and I'm always reading. I'm always trying to learn new methods or new ways of communicating some of these concepts. And the Ulysses contract goes back to the book, The Odyssey, Homer's, Homer's Odyssey. And so um, in the book, they are sailing across the ocean and they are nearing the sirens. And so if you've ever seen the Starbucks logo, you've seen uh, an image of a siren, these kind of you know, mermaid-like creatures that have the sweet call, um, and then they end up kind of putting these sailors in a trance, and the boat will steer over to the sweet call of the sirens and then crash in the rocks, and they all die. And so the captain 
of this vessel knew that this was a problem he was about to encounter. And so he wanted to hear the sweet siren call, but he didn't want to lose control and have the boat crash and kill everybody. So he asked his crew to tie him to the mast and they put wax in their ears to prevent them from, you know, the, the devastation of crashing into the rocks, right? So he was uh, tied to the mast, um, was able to hear the siren call, desperate to steer the ship there, uh, but his men thankfully obeyed his orders to not listen to him and, and do that. And so I love this analogy of that's what I think about when I think about these separate accounts with automation. It's like we are trying to zoom out of our life, recognize that we have these behavioral proclivities, that we have these things that we, on one hand, we say we want to do, and then emotion takes over, or impulsivity, or, you know, we see the Instagram ad and we click on it, and now, dang it, I spent too much money on this one thing. And so if we can kind of zoom out and see these behavioral nuances that we have and create a plan for them, again, just having money go into that savings account, that when you are in uh, Amazon impulse mode and you see the thing in your cart, you say, dang it, I don't have any money in my spending account. I'll just wait until it refills next time. I'll wait two more days until it refills instead of having to, you know, take the bills, debit card, if you will, and risk messing things up. This goes completely against American society, which is the society of instant application <laughs> and, and uh, constant advertising and marketing in every way possible in, in the real world, online, in newspapers. And, and the whole world is about temptation. So does this really work? You have to tie yourself to the mask to, to uh, avoid all this instant gratification? I love it. And I think, uh, I think maybe it comes across as so harsh, but in reality, it's not. I mean, if you ask any of my clients, you know, like as an example, Jordan, um, oftentimes when I'm working through these kind of concepts with clients and helping them adopt the mental framework needed for something like this, I'll say, if you had an extra thousand dollars a month, do you think that you'd probably go and spend it all eating out? Or would you want that to go to some other things like maybe better vacations or setting money aside for Christmas presents or all those kinds of things that people want to do. And most people agree they don't want to just go, you know, spend it all at Chipotle. And so I think that's the, we just have to zoom out and think about how do we want to live with our money? How much money do we want to earmark to spend and allow ourselves? And again, I'm not, I'm not uh, against that. You know, I've got the, my, what we call the his and her spending money, right? We've got a joint account for the family stuff and going to Chick-fil-A and buying the groceries and all that. And then I've got my own money that I come to, somehow end up spending most of it Chipotle, my wife will not spend a dime eating out and then save it all up and, you know, go buy a new outfit. Like, that's just what she does with hers. And so I think people need that. They absolutely need this kind of release valve, but they don't need an unlimited release valve. And they don't need one that goes below zero in that of a credit card where people are drowning in debt and super stressed out. And now they're working a job they hate just to pay the bills. So if people are wanting more of this concept, I'd say go watch the movie Fight Club and you'll get a healthy dose. Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Andrew Hoffman, founder of the Automatic Money Flow System. You can find out more at his website, automaticmoneyflow.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Andrew Hoffman, is the founder of the Automatic Money Flow System. 
His website is automaticmoneyflow.com. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. I'm having a blast, Jordan. So glad to be here. Thank you, sir. So these are all habits that you're talking about for adults, but how do you get kids uh, to start learning this thing with allowances and they always go to the store and they want more? How do you kind of get this started at an earlier age? Oh, I love it. I love it. I've got a great, great couple of uh, considerations for that. I think that for one, just to backpedal a second, I think a lot of people are divided on the concept of, you know, allowance versus chores. So maybe defining allowance as here's some money to learn how to use money and chores or you've got to earn the money that you keep. And uh, I, I'm personally, you know, undecided on what is best as far as that goes, but um, I've got a very elegant solution for Google. So I always direct people to, there's a kind of an app solution that people want to check out. It's uh, greenlight.com, you know, no affiliate links or anything like that, but um, it's just, uh, it makes some of the setup for these things easy. So there's also uh, just another resource. Uh, Matt Gardner is a certified financial planner, uh, MAC Gardner. He wrote a book called uh, The Four Money Bears. And so that was a good primer for my kids talking about how it, the, the Money Bears book is, just goes into the extremes of like giving, saving, spending, and investing. And so what happens if you kind of go all in on one of those categories um, that can lead from perhaps an unfruitful life. And so I think that people need balance with all four of those categories. And the sooner that children can begin adopting these practices, the sooner they can, you know, avoid the major pitfalls of managing money like debt, like, you know, the constant overspending um, that often, again, leads to debt and not having savings and not knowing anything about investing and, you know, waking up at age 40 and feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm making more money than ever and I'm living paycheck to paycheck, right, which I think a lot of a lot of people in our society are dealing with, unfortunately. And so I think if we can get our children started early, then we can mitigate those risks. And so what I love about uh, the green line, and I'm sure there are other alternatives out there, or, you know, if people want to get, you know, even like mason jars or piggy banks and label them with these four categories, I think this is a great way to do it. But again, you know me, I love the automated solution. And so what we do for our children is we have kind of a weekly allowance based on their age. So my son is nine, so he gets nine bucks a week. And uh, we just send that into these buckets. And so they get divvied up between giving, saving, spending, and investing. And it's got his own little debit card um, in the spending account. And he hits mom and dad up all the time to ask how much is in there so he can buy the new, the newest Minecraft game for Nintendo Switch, it seems like, is what's uh, his latest ire that he's got. But basically, in my opinion, if we can teach our kids these lessons early so that they are getting their first job, maybe at 16 or you know, or when they get out of the house or, you know, go to college and they're asking their employers, tell me about your 401k plan. Like, I feel like that's a pretty big win um, as a finance nerd. And so I think if people can wrap their head around these concepts and some of these apps have these kind of gamified, um, you know, financial education, as an example, one of the first modules for my son was like talking about opportunity cost. I mean, I can't think of how old I was before I learned the concept of opportunity cost and to learn it at nine years old, obviously, probably needs reinforcing between nine and, you know, 40. But I think if we can begin to introduce some of these ideas now and normalize them, giving children the tools to automate some of these things, because again, I, I remember being in high school, Jordan, and taking a consumer, you know, I got maybe it was consumer finance, if you want to call it that, but I remember learning how to use a checkbook and never did that in my entire life. You know, I never, I think probably most people listening can relate to this concept of, you know, we feel like there are some of these things that are just, they just need to go away. You know, yes, they work. Yes, they work. But there are better solutions out there now. And I think automation is one of those where we can teach our kids to whenever you get paid, put money in these buckets and automate the process so that you don't have to waste your time clicking a button and manually doing it, right? Or, yeah. or worse, pulling money out of an ATM and squirreling it under the mattress or wherever you're going you're gonna to save it. I'd be interested in your view of the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. Do you think that's realistic for a lot of people? I love the concept. Um, there's that, I'm going to butcher the saying, so forgive me. Um, the, the saying is like if you, you know, shoot for the stars and miss, you're going to land among the moon. Or maybe it's the other way around. You shoot for the moon, you land in the stars, one of those two. You get what I'm trying to say. I think that's what I love about the FIRE movement. I think that there are unhealthy levels to it. I think I love the idea. If someone can save 70% of their income and they want to, bless them. If you can do that, go go get it. I think the downside is if people are doing that or working so hard to do that, that they put their entire life on hold to retire in 10, year, in 10 years, I think that that can be a detriment. I think that there are people that do achieve the goal and then have to rediscover who they are as a person because they spent their last 
decade sacrificing to a very unhealthy degree. But I think that there is a massive amount of opportunity between what I would say is the 10 to 20 percent that most financial advisors recommend people save from that chasm all the way to 70 percent. There's a lot of wiggle room for people to grow their wealth in a way that they are spending money that's in alignment with their own intentions instead of just, you know, this kind of over consumerism mentality of I'll, you know, swipe the card and worry about it later. I think I think there's a lot that people can learn from the FIRE movement for sure. So how do your methods help millennials prepare for retirement success? I mean, they're going to live a lot longer, need a lot more money. Um, how is it going to make a difference in the long run if they follow your, your methods? I'm so glad that you asked this question uh, because I think it's, you know, it's been a lot of time on the spending account and then, yeah, automating the bills. People have that 90%, 95% done already. So that's not exactly earth shattering. But when you deposit your income into the brokerage account and you automate your bills, you've automated the spending, you've essentially put yourself on like, you know, a fixed lifestyle. You've got these kind of lifestyle paychecks that are happening in your life. And so if you can just adopt this mentality, then the next time you get a pay raise and you say, you know what, I'm going to increase my lifestyle by 50%, uh, then it makes it so much easier for people to not only um, have the kind of emotional, mental, psychological wins of starting where they are and not feeling like they're beating themselves up for decades of, you know, maybe not having the right information, decades of not doing it the right way, decades of not budgeting right. Um, and then they can instead adopt this mentality of almost like giving themselves, giving themselves some grace when they get that next pay raise and they just agree to, I'm just going to increase my lifestyle by clicking a couple buttons on recurring bank transfers and just increase maybe the spending money by a little bit. Maybe I'm increasing the vacation bucket, you know, things like that, or the kids bucket so we can go do more fun things as a family. And then they just commit to saving 50% of rates and moving forward. I think they can dramatically increase their saving and investing rate without a ton of effort behaviorally. It's like, the same life hack that people sleep on all the time and it drives me crazy that most people don't realize, Jordan, that inside their 401k is a button, the automatic increase. And if you're currently doing 6% to get the match, hey, guess what? Next year you could be doing 7 and then 8 and then 9 and 10. And it's a very easy way. Is it the most optimal, optimal way for every single person on the planet? Probably not. But it's an easy way for people to increase their saving and investing rate without feeling any psychological pain that they're giving anything up. And I'm a huge, huge fan of that. In the roughly two minutes we have left, why don't you kind of summarize what difference it will make in people's lives if they follow your automatic money flow system as opposed to what most people are doing, which is not doing that system? When we look at the census data, Jordan, retirement accounts and home equity are the two largest areas where American assets live, period. Retirement accounts is by far the leader of that. The reason, in my opinion, is automation because people work, they go to work, they sign up for the 401k, oftentimes they forget about it. I'm sure you've come across so many people that have, you know, a stranded 401k that is out there to, you know, former employer that needs, that needs some help and needs to be relocated. And so if people can understand the power of automation, that they don't have to do anything, that they are not getting in the way of their own assets being accumulated, if they can copy and paste that into their normal personal financial world, not only will they have better outcomes, but they will dramatically reduce their stress and they can break out of this, you know, roller coaster and paycheck to paycheck cycle. I think that's the real hope that I am put on this earth for. I'm trying to get this message out there to people that they can automate it, that they can automate and chill, you know, they can set it and forget it with their money and have better outcomes. Very good. Well, thanks so much. We've learned a lot. My guest this hour has been Andrew Hoffman. Uh, his program is called Automatic Money Flow. Uh, you heard a lot of the ideas today on how you can automate your money and not have to worry about it so much and still come out way ahead. His website is automaticmoneyflow.com. Thanks so much for being a great guest on the Money Answer Show, Andrew. Had a blast, and Thanks again for the opportunity. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.